Good morning. My name is Ben James, and I'm the senior pastor here at First Church of Christ in Grayson. We are uh, really grateful and we're thankful that you have joined us uh, to worship with us this morning. Uh, we would, I would like to encourage you to follow along with this message via our website, fccgrayson.com, or if you've converted our website into a home screen app, you can do that also. Either way you access it, you'll need to go to the tab marked Message Notes. On there, I've provided some notes that you can follow along with as we go through this message this morning, and there's sections in there where you can even add notes, your own thoughts, things that you want to remember, and then at the bottom, you can enter your email address in there and send these so that you can have them for future reference. This morning, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 4. Now, Daniel chapter 4 has 37 verses, and we're going to look at all 37 of them this morning. If this were a New Testament passage, if this were something that one of the letters that Paul wrote to a New Testament church and it had 37 verses in a chapter, then we could spend at least 37 weeks properly looking at those verses and that, those passages. But with Daniel chapter 4, it's a little bit more narrative driven. It's telling a story. So that allows us to kind of consume it in a little bit bigger of a chunk than going verse by verse each week. And I'm going to begin with a C.S. Lewis quote from his book, Mere Christianity, that says, The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are but minor flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, in chapter 4, we find kind of, I'll give you a little bit of an overview of the story before we get into uh, dissecting it a little bit deeper. Nebuchadnezzar starts the chapter by having this realization, this kind of spiritual epiphany, if you will, of who God is. He's recognizing him as, as one of the most high gods. And then it goes into this section where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this great big tree, and he sees a watcher, a, a holy one, come down from heaven and and pull it down. And you know, we're given this instruction from this holy one, this warning in his dream that you know he's going to be there's going to be a man that's going to live like an animal upon the face of the earth from for seven years. Uh, then he brings Daniel in to help interpret. And Daniel tells him that the dream's about him and, and really calls for Nebuchadnezzar to, to repent and to change his ways so that this doesn't happen. But what we find is Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change his ways. And sure enough, a year after um, his, you know, this, this warning of this dream, he winds up living like an animal for seven years. But at the end, we see where God restores him. But I really want to focus in and draw our attention to one verse in particular. If I were to say that there was a big idea or a theme or one verse in this passage of chapter 4, verses 1 through 37, it would be verse 17, where it says, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. That the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. We need to make sure that we're keeping that in the forefront of our thoughts this morning and we're viewing the rest of this chapter through that lens that the Most High is sovereign over all things and all kingdoms. Now we're going to look at a few things this morning that I'm going to present as good things. Now you may not consider them good things. I don't consider them good things when they happen to me. But ultimately what we learn through this passage of Scripture and what I've learned in my life is that it's not always necessarily my definition that's accurate. 
Sometimes the things that I think are going to be good for me are terrible for me. And sometimes I think that the things are going to wind up in my destruction. God does the Romans 8.28 thing with it, and He turns it and works it for good in my situation. But I think the first thing that we see that is good is in verses 1 through 3, and that's it's a good thing to glorify God for the things that lead us to repentance. So go ahead on your whatever you're using. I, I encourage you guys to pick up a Bible there at home and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 4 and we will read the first three verses of chapter 4. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You know, as we're looking through this and understanding that we're going through the lens of verse 17 and God's sovereignty over all the nations, I can't help but think of some of the, the verses out of Proverbs that deals with our pride. Now, the Bible is full of warnings about pride, warning about arrogance, and warnings about thinking too highly of ourselves, but Proverbs is really kind of the centralized hub for these things. And Proverbs 18.12 came to my mind as I was reading this, which says, Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Now what we see in these three verses is I think it's safe for us to say that Nebuchadnezzar had had a little bit of a worldview change, maybe even a spiritual beliefs change after he had experienced and seen what he did in the last chapter. But I don't think it stopped there. I think this was an accumulation of events that led to Nebuchadnezzar kind of having this moment. What happened in chapter 3 that we covered last week was the account of the fiery furnace of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego being unwilling to compromise their beliefs. They were unwilling to bend the knee and bow down to the idol, both in a private setting and in a public setting. They just refused to compromise that belief and bow down to worship another idol. So they were facing this death sentence, and they wound up being thrown into the furnace. And when, they, you know, when the king looked in, he saw the fourth person in there. It wasn't just Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There was a fourth person. Then they came out, and they, didn't have, they, they, they experienced no ill effects of the fire. They didn't smell of smoke. There wasn't anything singed, nothing. And that would be enough, I think, for most of us to have this type of epiphany moment but I think that was just the tipping point. I think we can look back from the very beginning of when these young men were taken into Babylonian captivity that they were unwilling to compromise. Whether it was a, something that would have cost them this much or something that would have cost them their lives, it did not matter. They were unwilling to compromise their convictions and their beliefs in God. Now, I think that it was also, there was something that played in the king's mind that all the while these young men are doing this, all the while that they're staying true to their convictions, even in the face of punishment, he's seeing that God is blessing them. God's favor is kind of being shown on them. And it's also the favor of man's being shown on them too. So I think that there's kind of an accumulation effect that's taking place here in the king's heart. And I think that that shows us that it's a really good thing to glorify God for being in places that lead us to repentance. Now here's what I'm guilty of. 
I'm guilty of facing situations. I mean, we could even look at this situation that's causing me to be talking to a camera and you to be listening to me via a screen. We could look at this situation and we could kind of throw our hands up in the air and we could go, what in the world's going on? Why is this happening? What punishment are we getting? We could look at it from a victim's mentality and say, you know, in our personal lives, when relationships are falling apart or our finances are struggling or when we lose a job or when something's not going right in our church, we can look at these kind of things and we have a tendency to want to throw our hands up in the air and say, I quit because obviously I'm being punished for something. But remember, it's a good thing to glorify God when He gives us these things that will lead us to repentance. The next thing that I think that we see in verses 4 through 18 of this chapter is that it's a good thing when God troubles our hearts to get our attention. Let's read verses 4 through 18. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, and astrologers came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is on you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals fell, found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the Spirit of the holy gods is in you. Another passage that came to my mind at this point as I was reading this was Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, which says, In his pride... The wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Now, it's in this section that we read the details of the dream of the king. And to be honest with you, I think that the king probably already knew what this dream meant. And we also find in there our key verse again, remember that so the living may know that the Most High is sovereign all the, over all the kingdoms of the earth. 
So I think that he really knew in his heart what this dream meant, but I think that he was searching. I think he was looking for reassurance. I think that he was wanting somebody to tell him that that wasn't the case. And again, he brings in all of these other people to try to interpret the dream. Just like in chapter 2, we see that he brings in all of these people, the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters. He does all of this, and none of them can, can interpret the dream in chapter 2. And then he does the same thing in chapter 4. It just seems to me like you would go to Daniel initially. But for some reason, maybe he didn't want to know the truth. Maybe he was looking for somebody to give him some reassurance. But finally, Daniel comes in. And he begins to interpret, and we'll get to that here in just a minute, but I want us to look at something out of this passage. I feel that Daniel's response that we're getting ready to see once again reveals to us the character of Daniel. I think it would have been a really easy thing for him to do, to go in to the king's presence knowing that the king was looking for comfort, was looking for reassurance, and was maybe looking for somebody to put his mind at ease, it would have been really, really easy for Daniel to walk in, want to gain favor with the king, want to get even more in his good graces, and tell him, oh yeah, king, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not about you. It's about your enemies. Don't worry about it. But Daniel doesn't do that. Guys, how many times in our lives do you think that we're challenged to really speak the truth? And maybe... Just maybe, because of the consequences we fear, because of the ridicule, the persecution, maybe even the suffering that it might be setting us up for, that we are not, we're not, we don't stick with the truth. We don't deliver the truth, and we kind of shy away from it, and we don't deliver it because of our fear of man. So with this, with this next section that's coming up, I do want to go ahead and just reiterate, in this passage, I think that we see that it's a good thing when God troubles our hearts to get our attention. But talking about Daniel moving and declaring the truth into the king's lives, into his life, I want us to really pay attention now to the way that Daniel frames the truth. And that leads me to the third point. It's a good thing when God exposes our sin and calls us to right living. Verses 19 through 27. Let's go ahead and read those now. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or this meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meanings to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field. While its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High as sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means with your kingdom 
It will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Again, notice how Daniel frames the truth. After hearing what the dream was, he goes through this in verse 19. It, well, in verse 19, the one thing I want to show you is how, how deeply it affected him. In verse 19, we see the word perplexed, that Daniel was perplexed. Other translations use the word distressed or troubled. So this, this troubled Daniel. Then he says, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Think about that. Daniel had been taken captive. Daniel, who had been oppressed his whole life, Daniel, who was living in a foreign land, not by his choice, who had served so well to this pagan kingdom and this pagan God and this pagan king that he was forced to serve with. He had, he had served them so well, he had grown in love with them, and he said, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversary. I love what David Helm offers as insight into this situation where he says, we must be willing to share the bad news with people that they are out of sorts with God. Even as our hearts break for them while saying it, we must be willing to tell others that God is not pleased with our pride. Daniel didn't shrink from speaking God's word into the life of the most powerful man in the world. In doing so, he has provided us with an example of the backbone needed to be faithful when our opportunity comes. But I do want to interject this thought. I believe the way that Daniel handles himself in the presence of the king and the way that he reveals the truth and frames the truth is a critical element to this story because I believe that there are times that the way that we present, the way that we speak, and the way that we frame the truth is almost as important as the truth that we're proclaiming itself. So it's a good thing when God exposes our sin and calls us to right living. Next, it's a good thing when God humbles us in our arrogance and pride. Beginning with verse 28. All this happened to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what he had been immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Isaiah 2.17 says, The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And in this section, what we see is that either the king has forgotten or most likely just completely ignored the advice that Daniel had given him a year before that to 
take the opportunity and repent, to save himself this trouble, this dream, to, to be delivered from this dream, I think, he, I think he just ignored it. Because I don't think there's any way, especially with what dreams meant back at this time frame, I don't think there's any way you forget something like this. I think he ignored it, and I think his pride and his arrogance became too much to the point that in verse 30, he steps out onto his royal balcony. He takes a deep breath. He looks over everything that he has, he has created, everything that is his kingdom, and he says, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Basically, what he's saying is, hey, I did all of this. I deserve the praise for this. I deserve the credit for this. I deserve the glory and the honor. I'm the smartest. I'm the wisest. I'm the greatest. I am the big show, is basically what King Nebuchadnezzar is saying here. The lesson I think we can learn from this is we need to remember that no matter how high on the ladder it is that you climb, no matter how much you accomplish and how much that you have obtained, there's no accomplishment in our life. There is nothing that we can obtain that is separated from the grace of God allowing that to happen in our lives. And the moment that that pride and arrogance kicks in is when we are in, on really dangerous ground. The king had forgotten this concept. He'd forgotten that it's by the grace of God. He had forgotten or ignored all of the miraculous things that he said that he had seen God do through these young men to his kingdom and for his kingdom. And in the middle of this glory campaign that the kings had let... Now listen, if there, was, if there was TV back then, this would have been a live press conference. There would have been lights. There would have been microphones in his face as he was declaring that this is what I have built. And right in the middle of this glory campaign that he's on, verse 33 says this, Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Folks, once again, it's a good thing when God humbles us in our arrogance and in our pride. Lastly, this morning, I think it's a good thing to praise God because He always does what's right. Verses 34 through 37. At the end of time, I... Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The New Testament book of James Chapter 4, verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. I think that that verse sums up how God feels about pride. And I feel like that's the lesson of Daniel chapter 4, that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 
If you were to ever want to look for an illustration for James 4, 6 of God opposing the proud and showing favor to the humble, I think we see a perfect illustration of that as we read the story of Daniel chapter 4. And I love the three realizations that Nebuchadnezzar comes to in this passage at the very end. He says, because the king of heaven does everything right, all of his ways are just, and all those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Again, it's a good thing to praise God because he always does what is right. So one of the questions that we've been asking throughout this study of the book of Daniel is where do we see Jesus? Because from cover to cover, this book is a story about revealing Jesus Christ. And I think we see Jesus in opposites in this section. I believe that we can look at the person and the characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar and stack them up to Jesus, and I think that we see the polar opposites here. And I've kind of provided you a list on the notes section, and I'll go over them real quickly with you here. Nebuchadnezzar was a normal man. Jesus was eternal God. Nebuchadnezzar was sinful. Jesus was sinless. Nebuchadnezzar was merciless. Jesus was merciful. Nebuchadnezzar glorified himself. Jesus humbled himself. Nebuchadnezzar aspired to rule, and Jesus aspired to serve. And Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself while God humbled him, and Jesus humbled himself while God exalted. Now this morning, if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, this one who came, this one who bled, who died, who was crucified, who was buried and rose again, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, if you do not have a personal relationship with Him this morning, and you would like for us to pray for you, and you would like to give your heart to the Lord, then I ask that you go to fccgrayson.com and scroll until you see the section for prayer request. Please contact us with that. That is not something that you need to wait till we can all be in the same building together again. That needs to happen now. If you've got something else that you would like for us to be praying with you about, please go to that same prayer request page. Fill that out. As soon as you hit submit on that, I get a notification that there has been something submitted. And I promise you I will get back with you as quickly as I possibly can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I, I praise you that you are still good in all of these crazy situations in our lives. I, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to die for us so that we could have the hope of eternal life in heaven with you. God, I thank you for every person that's listening to this right now. I pray that you touch their hearts. I pray that something that's been said from your word has convicted them, has challenged them, has comforted them, has done whatever you needed it to do in their hearts. God, I pray right now that they would respond to the call that you're placing on their lives, whether that be a call to salvation, whether that be a, a call to ask and reach out for prayer, or a call for uh, more right living and living more in a righteous way. God, I just pray that right now we're sensitive to you and what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.